Amen. What a blessing to have these people lead us in worship. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be with you. I want to offer my thanks to Eric and to Dennis and to Stacy for allowing me to be here in this place with you at Shambly and uh, to be able to be here in the pulpit. It's a real privilege. Um, I did share with Eric in advance that it's probably good that you had Nate Abrams a couple of weeks ago and you got Dr. Byron Thomas coming next week and you can afford to take a risk on me today. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here. Um, I'd, I'd be remiss as well if I didn't take an opportunity to thank all of you here at Shambly for your decades-long relationship with us in camping ministry, especially at Glisten. Um, you have been supportive. We have been in partnership for decades. The men of this church have spent countless hours up at Glisten repairing and building new buildings, and our ministry would not be what it is without the relationship that we have with you. And so I, I, I want to say as well, Les was a part of that group, and our prayers will join in your prayers to be with the Hammond family in the coming days. We're grateful for you. Um, our, our scripture this morning is found in uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Please listen now for the word of God. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you and whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May we pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our salvation. Amen. When I've preached this text in the past, um, I've always focused on verses 25 through 28. But the version that I've worked with is um, 
found in Matthew 22, where the two are connected by a second is like it. You know, you've heard this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I've always wondered why the command to love your neighbor as yourself is like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Those two seem to be very different things. And after a lot of pondering and and some inspiration from a movie, I realized that the two commands are alike because if you really love God, you love what God loves. So a couple of years ago, our dogs passed away within a few months of one another and we were grieving and my wife and I agreed that we would wait at least a year before we decided if we wanted to have dogs again. And then Becky suddenly appeared one Sunday afternoon with two dachshund puppies. I had no choice but to love those dachshund puppies because I love her and I love what she loves. But only after several days of my righteous indignation, of course. Matthew's version of the greatest commandments holds together two commands, love God and love neighbor. But today's text is found in Luke 10, and there is no phrase, and a second is like it. Of the three Gospels in which we find this text, which is quoted from Deuteronomy 6.5, Luke's is the only one where the initial inquisitor follows up with a test of a clarifying question. And that's because the lawyer who asked it was trying to cover up for asking an obvious question. He says, and who is my neighbor? In our society today, that seems to be a pretty straightforward question. It's a question of proximity. Our neighbors are the people who live around us. Those folks whose cars we recognize, but whose faces we may not know. Folks who are in our homes for meals and celebrations, and too often, those whose lives we know nothing about. There are people we would have chosen to live near or who have chosen to live near us, whether or not we've chosen to get to know them very well. Our neighbors are those with whom we share geography in common. They're the ones who live a block or two from us or behind that sign that marks the neighborhood. Those are our neighbors. Jesus' answer to the lawyer's follow-up question is, the story we call the Good Samaritan. It's a story that has made its way into popular culture, even though it's most misappropriated most all of the time when it's used in broader society. Um, the story begins with a man traveling from Jericho to, uh, to from Jerusalem to Jericho, who was robbed, who was beaten, and left on the side of the road for dead. One by one, Jewish leaders come along on the road, and upon seeing the man, they cross to the other side. The Samaritan comes and gives him first aid. He puts him on the animal that he had been riding. He checked him into an inn. He took care of him the rest of the day and all night. He then gives the innkeeper a couple of days worth of pay in order to be able to take care of the man, and he promised to make up for anything else that the innkeeper spends. At the end of the story, Jesus asks an altered version of the lawyer's question. Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Unable to say a good word about Samaritans, the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus answered him, go and do likewise. You've likely heard this story countless times in Sunday school and in worship, and you know about the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. 
You know that though they share a common heritage and you know that they, though they are both under the occupation of Rome under a common governorship and they, that they both came from the ancestor Jacob, um, they, that they live basically in the same neighborhood, they share a mutual disdain for one another. They worship in different places, Jews in Jerusalem and Samaritans at Mount Gerizim. They both believed that they and not the other were the bearers of the true faith of Moses. Samaritans claimed that Ezra led the Jews astray. Jews claimed that the Samaritans resulted from a schism sometime between the 6th and 4th centuries BC. They had different legal traditions regarding the cleanliness of vessels and avoided contact with each other to maintain their ritual purity. For cultural, historical, and theological reasons, Samaritans were alienated from the Jews. And in time, the two groups found it impossible to maintain friendly relations. The man from Samaria represented both racial impurity and religious heresy to the Jews. And it was this commonly perceived alien nature of the Samaritans that gives the ironic sting upon hearing Jesus' story. It helps us to know the history of the relationship between these two groups to understand its deeper meaning. But who are the Samaritans for us today? Not those folks who cross the road and are really nice to us, not the, not the good Samaritans, but those with whom we share a common background, those with whom we share a common governor, those, but those for whom we have disdain. They might worship in different ways and places and perhaps at different times on Sunday. They might believe that they are the bearers of the true Christian faith while we know better. They might be folks with whom we are related, with whom we have worked and played and worshipped and prayed, but with whom some schism has made it impossible to be in relationship. During the past several years, we've experienced more divisiveness in our homes, our neighborhoods, our churches, our schools, in our country than in recent memory. There are countless issues and beliefs that are becoming ways through which we take stock of and align ourselves with or against one another. And positions on key issues like masking or anti-racism or LGBTQ rights or vaccinations are used, rightly or wrongly, to place others in one group or another. These are the new laws of belonging and alienation. They are the in-laws and the outlaws. Until the past year or so, I thought our camping ministries might be immune from the fractiousness that is affecting much of our lives and even our church. But more and more, the issues that are dividing us in society are creating fear for people about camp as well. Questions and concerns about issues from masking and COVID testing to race and critical race theory to the denominational struggle about LGBTQ status and inclusion are no longer theoretical for us but are becoming much more commonplace. It strikes me that these questions have a lot in common with the question that Jesus faced from the lawyer. After Jesus got his initial question right, his follow-up question, and who is my neighbor, asks Jesus to put a boundary on who is to be loved. The lawyer wants to know the minimum expectation of the greatest commandment so that he can ensure he's in and not out of God's favor. After all, in the lawyer's eyes, 
the purpose of the religious law is to let folks know who's in and who's out. There are in-laws and there are outlaws, and while many of the lesser laws, like how to wash and staying away from a dead body or one that we presume is dead, makes it clear when one is unclean or out, Jesus' answer about neighbors could make the in and the out limits of the greatest commandment clear as well. But there is such a change in Jesus' response. Who acted like a neighbor? Instead of the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? That some scholars see it as evidence that the story is placed out of context. It's much more likely that Jesus is suggesting that the lawyer is asking the wrong question. Jesus refused to entertain the lawyer's request to define who has to be loved and who is optional to love. Instead, he answers the more appropriate question, how can I be a neighbor? In his book, Reaching Out, Henry Nouwen addresses the many times people ask questions of Jesus. He says, to none of those questions did Jesus give a direct answer. He gently put them aside as questions emerging from false worries. They were raised out of concern for prestige, influence, power, or control. Therefore, Jesus always transformed the question by his answer. He made the question new, and only then worthy of his response. Now and goes on. Though we think ourselves as followers of Jesus, we are often seduced by the fearful questions the world presents to us. Without fully realizing it, we become anxious, nervous, worrying people caught in questions of survival, our own survival, the survival of our families, friends, and colleagues, the survival of our church, our country, or our world. Once these fearful questions become the guiding questions of our lives, we tend to dismiss words spoken from the house of love as unrealistic, romantic, sentimental, pious, or just useless. When love is offered as an alternative to fear, we say, yes, yes, that sounds beautiful, but... The but reveals how much we live in the grip of the world a world which calls Christians naive and raises realistic questions that echo a cynical spirit which says words about peace, forgiveness, reconciliation, and new life are wonderful. But the real issues cannot be ignored. They require that we do not allow others to play games with us, that we retaliate when we're offended, that we're always ready for war, and that we never allow anyone to take away the good life we have so carefully built up for ourselves. Jesus gently corrects the lawyer's approach while not pointing out its underlying motivations of prestige and power, control, and influence. Instead of approaching our faith by asking questions motivated by our fears, questions that use law-like accepted and right expectations to draw lines of who is in and who is out, of what we must do and what is optional, of what is inadequate and what is minimally adequate, Jesus is suggesting we should be asking how we might best do what God commands us to do. At camp, we found ourselves asking the question, how might we be faithful as we seek to both love God and love neighbor, as we seek to offer campers the chance to practice that greatest commandment with one another? It's clear that is the breadth and the limit of our role. We teach our staff that we do not teach campers what to believe, but we practice together 
how to love. That's why we have organized camp into living groups so that practice time is real and deep and meaningful and relationships are built that are strong. The role of teaching doctrinal or theological positions, whether they be based in Methodism or Baptist uh, traditions in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, that role belongs to the families, to the churches of our campers. We focus on practice rather than doctrine, on orthopraxy rather than orthodoxy, on right practice rather than right belief. And we believe that by practicing loving God and loving neighbor, For at least one week each year, we are teaching our children in ways that lead to life. And if the comments and survey results are any indication, that approach is succeeding in making our campers feel safe and loved and that they they belong at camp. This divisiveness we're experiencing in our country in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our homes today, it's it's not going to disappear with time, with programs, or even with prayer, though all of those things will be helpful. The good news is that every time we overcome our fears and our desires to create limits to God's expectations, and we cross the road to express care and concern for our neighbors, especially when they are different from us, we begin to come together. And every time we exercise enough faith, to practice loving our neighbors, our love for God will deepen as well. We pray that camp provides space for our children and youth to have that practice, and we believe that practice supports your work at Shambly and all of our other churches to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How might we be faithful is the appropriate question for us to ask in each moment, in each situation, with each person. It takes practice to ask that question as reflexively as we breathe, without pause, without the subversion of bias or fear or weariness or complacency. No in-laws and no outlaws. May each of us find the courage and the humility to engage in this simplest and greatest practice, loving God, loving neighbor in our own way beginning today. Amen.